Hello, I'm Gretelyn Darkey, your door-to-door -door storyteller, and I'd like to give you a story. This story is called Heart's Desire by me, Gretelyn Darkey. That girl is not safe, said the old priest, shaking his head. Who, the miller's daughter? His old charwoman looked up and rested from scrubbing the old church steps. The priest gazed out over the low stone wall surrounding the church. The girl was gathering buttercups in the graveyard just beyond the wall. He leaned more heavily on his stick and sighed. She is far too clever for her own good, he said. She needs all her wits about her, I'm sure, the woman said, rocking back on her heels. What with her mother dying when she was so young? All the same, the priest said. It can come to no good. Well, her da would do better not to let her work at the Golden Boar. That's true enough. It's a rough place, and no good position for a maiden girl. So many travelers stopping there, and drinking more than they can hold. It's a dangerous place for her. The girl in the graveyard straightened up, a handful of buttercups clasped in her long, slender fingers. Her hair, blown in the summer breeze, perfectly matched the golden yellow of the flowers. She is beautiful, the priest thought, but beauty without scruples is a dangerous thing. He thought of the few conversations he'd had with her. She never talked to him for long, but when she did, she always looked straight at him with her changeable green eyes and her sweet smile flashing. He had heard her confession in years past, and, more importantly, he hadn't heard her confession in many months now. "'You know what she said to me the other day?' the old charwoman asked. "'She told me she would be queen some day.' "'Why did she say that, I wonder?' I don't know, but she seemed awfully sure of herself. The priest pursed his lips. I fear for her, he said. The girl moved toward them, her flower-embroidered apron rippling in the breeze. Hello, father, she said, smiling, when she came up to them. Hello, Mrs. Pranter. Hello, Elena, the priest answered. I've taken some of the wild flowers from the graves, I'm afraid. She laughed. I hope the old bones won't miss them. That's no way to speak of the dead, muttered Mrs. Pranter. The girl shrugged. They don't know me, she said, or where I live. They won't haunt me. The priest almost smirked at her ironic honesty. Elena's own mother had been burnt to ashes in the fire at the old mill. There hadn't even been anything to bury. Perhaps that's why she's so troublesome, he thought. Perhaps it gnaws at her mind, knowing that her mother never had a Christian burial. What a thing to say, Mrs. Pranter chided. They'll haunt you now for sure. Be off with you. She shooed at the girl with her soapy scrub brush, but Elena only laughed and skipped away, her hair rippling behind her in the sun like rivulets of gold. The priest turned back toward the church door. "'What are you doing, father?' the old charwoman asked. "'Mass is over.' "'I know,' he said. 
but God is still in there, and I need to speak to him. And, leaning heavily on his stick, he hobbled into the church. A few minutes later, Elena skipped into her father's mill, her face flushed and the buttercup still clutched in her hand. "'Is that you, girl?' her father called from the storeroom. "'It's me,' she cried, ducking past the low lintel door of the storeroom. Her father was there, surrounded by sacks of flour, his hair and apron powdered white like a wedding cake. Between the flour that grayed his hair and the natural stoop of his shoulders— he looked much older than his fifty-one years. "'What have you got there?' he grunted, barely glancing at her. "'Oh, nothing,' she said, pecking his flower-flecked cheek with her pink lips. "'Just some color for the table.' She wiped her mouth with the back of her hand. "'Shouldn't you be at the boar?' her father asked. "'You spend enough time frolicking around. Go out and earn your keep, girl.' "'I'm not wanted at the boar just yet.' She alternately pleaded and smoothed her apron absently with her free hand. Father, she asked after a pause. Hmm? I heard a rumor today. What gossip are you listening to now? He continued to tally the grain sacks, not bothering to look at her. Silas Wainwright, you know, the boy at the boar, he said that the king is passing through the village sometime this week. The miller laughed. The king? Through our village? Where did Silas hear an outlandish thing like that? He hefted a bag and checked off something on the list in his hand. I think it's true, Elena said, sitting on a bag of flour. He heard it from a tinker who just came from the capital. The king is touring the land. The miller shook his head. No good can come of this, he said. He's sure to be coming for taxes or to raise an army or some such thing. It'll be no good for us poor folk. Mark my words, he'll be coming to take whatever wealth he can get out of us. I don't know about that, father. I think the king's visit just might make our fortune. He looked at her suspiciously from under his flowery eyebrows. Now, what on earth makes you say that? I don't know. Call it a hunch. She stood up and stretched like a cat. I should go now. They'll be wanting me at the boar soon. Don't be late, growled her father. We can't afford for you to lose that job. Of course, father, she said, and hurried up to her room at the top of the mill, carefully placing the buttercups and a glass of water on her windowsill. With a secret smile, she changed her chemise and bodice to ones that would show off her bosom to more advantage. Then she ran off to another night's work at the Golden Boar. That evening, Elena heard more rumors. The king was definitely traveling through their little town sometime soon. Silas kept insisting that the king would be at the Golden Boar before the week was out, but no one could say for certain. In the meantime, Fulgar, the innkeeper, grumbled and bullied Elena more than usual. She didn't mind this, though. She knew that it only meant he was worried that their rooms and their fare and their beer would not be fit for a king. Elena smiled secretly to herself and shook her head. When she got home from the boar late that night, Elena went up to her bedroom and retrieved the little buttercups from the glass on the window sill. Stolen from a maiden's grave, she thought, as she pulled the petals off one by one. 
Then she lit the black candle on her bedside table and fed the golden petals slowly into the flickering flame. I wish to become the queen of the land, she whispered, by the gold of these petals like the gold of my hair. She pricked her finger and let a few drops of blood fall into the candle wax, by the blood of my heart. She breathed on the candle gently. By the breath of my body, by anything you ask of me, give me my heart's desire, make me queen. A cold breath of wind rushed in through the open window, too cold for the warm summer night. The candle flickered and went out, and the dark red of Elena's blood cooled and hardened, combining with the black wax of the candle. She shivered and pulled her shawl more tightly around herself. Suddenly she felt frightened, and she wished she could run to her father's room like she used to do when she was a child and her mother was still alive. Instead, she forced herself to laugh. Then she lay down on her bed and tried to sleep. The next day, a great bustle seized the town. A pompous little page boy came riding to the inn at dawn to announce that his master, the king of the land, would arrive that evening. The sheriff went round the village, paying the town idlers to clean the streets for him, and then paying them a little more to stay out of sight until after the king had left. Women beat their rugs and scrubbed their husbands' shirts. Men groomed their horses and their beards, and made sure that their shops displayed the best of their wares. Fulgar stormed about the boar, yelling at Elena and kicking Silas when the boy didn't work fast enough. As for Elena, she hummed to herself and didn't mind all the bustle and hurry about her. She knew that whatever happened that evening, she would do well. She polished the mugs more vigorously than usual, even so. There was no harm in appearing to advantage. That night, the inn was alive with nervous talk and forced singing. Half of the village had stopped by the boar to see if the king would stop by. Everyone knew that if the king didn't stay at the sheriff's house, he would lodge at the golden boar. Elena stood behind the bar, her hair twisted in a braid around her head, like a crown of melted butter. Her cheeks glowed from the warmth of the fire and the activity of the room, and her eyes gleamed emerald in the torchlight. The crowd at the inn was rowdy, banging mugs and calling to her from across the room. Elena wondered if they were happy or merely restless. Suddenly the inn door burst open, and a tall, handsome man entered. He was dressed in blue and gold, with riding gloves covering his big hands and a sword at his side. His high, muddy boots tread heavily on the wooden floorboards. Five or six men in the same livery followed him in, pulling off their hoods as they entered. Silver swords gleamed at their sides, and their hair was tousled from the journey. Elena wondered which one was the king. A deathly silence descended upon the room. The laughter and the singing wafted away until only the town drunk's snores marred the stillness. I am Uther Rootgart, the handsome young man said into the calm, herald of the king. Behold, his majesty enters. On Uther's signal, all the men stepped smartly aside. The villagers craned their necks to see the king. The whole room seemed to be holding its breath and straining its eyes, 
even the snoring ceased. Men had made bets about what the king would look like, tall or handsome or strong or all three. No two opinions were alike, but, as it turned out, not one opinion was correct. With a slight stumble, a wizened old man with a pinched, sour face lurched into the room. He wore a huge golden crown that seemed to push his neck down into his shoulders, making him look like a startled turtle. His back hunched under his purple velvet cloak, and the chain of office around his neck seemed to pull his head downward toward his chest. The men flanking the doorway clapped their right fists to their chests and bowed their heads. Everyone else seemed to wake from a dream. The villagers started and awkwardly bowed, and Fulgar shuffled forward. "'Please, Your Majesty,' he said, bending his neck and clutching at his dirty apron. "'Welcome to my lowly inn. May you find good shelter here.' The king nodded and muttered a few words to Uther Rutgart. "'The king gives you his thanks,' Uther said in a clear voice. "'And he would have some of your best spiced wine before he makes his way to the sheriff's manor for the night.' Fulgar nodded. Then he turned to glare at Elena, who was already fetching the wine. Silas reached out for the cup, but Elena skipped nimbly past him and out from behind the bar. It was not the custom at the Golden Boar for the barmaid to make rounds about the room, unless she had a loaded tray to bring to some table or other. But this was the king, and no one wanted their voice to be the one to comment or complain. As Elena reached the shriveled old man, she ducked her head and curtsied. The king looked at her from under his white eyebrows. His watery, faded blue eyes traveled slowly over her shapely frame. But his look did not linger on her creamy skin or her golden hair or her long, dark lashes. Instead, the king's roving gaze stopped on the gold chain around her neck and the ring on her finger, and he licked his dry lips. She held out the cup to him, and he snatched it from her hands, pressing it to his lips and slurping up the wine. His long yellow fingernails clutched at the pewter vessel, and he gasped between gulps. Elena bowed her head and retreated a step or two. With a final wheeze, the king finished the wine and pushed the cup toward Elena, who took it from his hands. Then the king burped loudly. With the sound... The spell was broken, and everyone started talking again. Fulgar showed the king and his men to a private table in a little alcove by the fire. The soldiers and attendants were careful to leave the seat closest to the fire for their king, and when Fulgar and Elena brought them food and wine, they were sure to serve the king first. Once or twice Uther tried to catch Elena's eye, but she would look at no one but the old king. That monarch, on the other hand, didn't seem to notice anyone at all. He was wholly taken up with ogling any gold he could set eyes on, mentally calculating its worth in his head. That night, in the finest room in the sheriff's manor, Uther helped his king undress for bed. The old king could no longer move easily, and his clothes weighed more than those of other nobles because he had sewn coins into the hems. None of his attendants ever dared to ask him why he did this. Those closest to him, however, said that he just liked to know that there was gold nearby. "'That serving-maid at the inn is very fair,' Uther commented as he carefully removed the king's waistcoat. 
Oh, the king yawned. I didn't notice. Yes, Uther said. And one of the local men, uh, the blacksmith, I think, said that she's so handy she could do anything she turned her mind to. Hmm. The king snorted and sat down on the bed, staring out of the window. Uther knelt down and helped the king out of his long stockings. Yes, my lord, he said. The blacksmith said she could spin straw into gold if she tried. The king looked down sharply at his attendant. What did you say? he hissed. A straw into gold, Uther laughed. Imagine. As if anyone could... He broke off, stunned. The old king had sprung from his bed, his eyes wild. Quick, he cried, give me something, anything to wear. Where does this barmaid live? Uther stared at the king. I, he stammered, I believe she is the miller's daughter. The king hardly waited for Uther to finish. He threw a long robe over his bony shoulders and stampeded down the stairs toward the stables. My horse, he cried, my horse, quickly! Uther ran after him, carrying the king's shoes and breeches. But the attendant reasoned with his lord in vain. The king would go to see the miller tonight. It was all settled too quickly. The king promised to treat Elena well, and spoke of her as a good companion for his daughter, for they were just the same age. He promised the miller that Elena would be in good hands and no harm would come to her. He needn't have bothered, though. The miller would have sold his daughter for less than he got and not asked any questions. The only thing that concerned Elena's father was how much the king would compensate him for his loss. After all, Elena worked at the boar. She brought in a good wage. How was her father to get on without her? And on and on. Once it was all settled, the king took Elena and put her on a white horse, and she rode away in his train without looking back. Just as the entourage passed the old church at the entrance of the town, the church door opened and the old priest stepped outside to watch the procession go by. He hobbled down to the gate and peered over the low stone wall. As Elena passed, he stiffened, and, faster than he should have been able to move, he opened the gate and rushed at the white horse, grasping at its reins. "'Beware!' he hissed, staring up at Elena with cutting eyes. "'Beware of your heart's desire!' For a moment he held her gaze, fierce gray eyes pouring into startled emerald ones. Then she turned her head away and laughed. "'See here, old father,' Uther said, drawing up his horse beside Elena. "'We swear to treat her well. No harm will come to her.' "'But will she treat you well?' the priest asked, still looking at the girl. "'What harm may come to you?' Uther shivered, and gently took the reins from the old priest's hands. Then he shepherded the girl up toward the front of the procession. He kept close to her there, near the king, until they were well out of the town. When they got to the castle some days later, the king gave Elena a bed in his daughter's chamber with the other waiting women. His daughter was small and dark and lovely, but her loveliness was so opposite to Elena's that it was difficult to say that both were beautiful and mean the same thing. Beside Elena, the princess was like the moon beside the sun, and, like the moon, 
the princess found herself overshadowed by the new waiting woman. It wasn't long before the king's daughter noticed that Uther's eyes followed Elena about wherever she went. Before much longer, the princess began to show her jealousy, making Elena wear the worst gowns or making her go barefoot like a poor servant girl. None of the princess's ploys mattered, though. Uther still gazed constantly at Elena. His eyes told clearly what he thought of her, no matter how she was dressed. The old king also watched Elena, though with very different eyes. Uther's gaze spoke his love to anyone who would see. The king's look also spoke of love, but not of the kind of love that a man has for a woman. The king's eyes gleamed more at the color of her golden hair and the thoughts which that color conjured up for him. Many a slow-witted knight laughed at what they thought was the king's lust, and they were right. The old king did lust, but not for the girl. When the harvest came, the palace servants brought in bales of new straw to strew across the cold stone floors. The king ordered that some two dozen bales be put aside in a high tower room at the top of the castle. The servants puzzled over this, but the king was the king, and there was no arguing with him. Late one night, soon after the new straw had been brought in, and the whole palace smelled sweetly of fresh hay, Elena woke from sleep to find a huge hand covering her mouth. She tried to cry out, but the man only pushed his palm down more firmly. Hush, said a whispered voice. Hush, and I won't have to hurt you. Elena stopped struggling and lay perfectly still. It's just me, the voice said. It's Uther. I'm here on the king's business. I would never harm you. Elena looked up at him with eyes that blazed in the moonlight. Get up quietly, Uther whispered. Don't make a sound. These are the king's orders. Do you understand? Elena nodded, and Uther took his hand away from her mouth. Elena gasped and looked at him reproachfully. "'Why couldn't the king send for me in the daytime?' she hissed. "'I'll explain later,' Uther murmured, pulling her up by the hand. "'Get your cloak and come with me.' Uther led her down the stairs and through the deserted kitchen to the back of the palace. He dared not take her through the great hall where the soldiers slept on the new-laid straw. Instead, he took her out to the stables and, motioning her not to make a sound, he snuck her little white mare and his own gray stallion out into the grounds. "'What's going on, Uther?' Elena whispered. "'I'm not going a step further until you explain yourself.' Uther stopped and dropped the horse's reins. "'Come with me, Elena,' he begged, grasping her hands in his. "'I've heard the king talking lately. That straw in the tower room? He will demand impossible things of you. In the end, he will grow tired of your excuses and kill you.' Trust me, I know him well. I don't understand, she said. What is it that the king wants of me? Why are you so afraid? Uther took a deep breath. I have a confession to make to you, he said. Back in your village, I told the king that you could spin straw into gold. She blinked at him. What? Shh, not so loud. I meant no harm. One of the village lads said it to me as a jest, and I repeated it to the king. But the king took it for truth, and that is why you were brought here. 
I'm glad my words were the cause of your coming, but now the king wants a return for his generosity. He wants you to spin straw into gold for him. I meant no harm, Elena, I swear it. Elena drew her hands out of Uther's grasp. She stood stonily, gazing at him. There was a strange glint in her narrowed eyes. "'And you say that's the only reason he wanted me at the castle?' she asked. "'Yes.' She looked away from him, over to the horses who were calmly munching the grass. "'Well?' Uther looked at her pleadingly. "'Will you come with me? I'm ready to leave all, my position and my prestige and my status. I'll leave it all behind for you.' Her mouth pursed into a tiny pink heart. Then she looked at him with cold eyes. "'You have insulted me deeply, Uther Rootgart,' she said. "'I will not go with you. "'I think more of my king than you do, it seems.' "'Uther gazed at her, unable to speak. "'I believe the king wants me here for myself,' she went on. "'He cannot do without my beauty, "'and my beauty is a thing that has never failed me.' "'But, Elena,' Uther stammered, "'I know the king. "'I, I know how he—' "'I will thank you to leave me alone in the future,' Elena said. "'And do not take the liberty of rousing me from my bed "'on a pretense of the king's business again.' "'Uther stepped back. "'Elena, I—' he broke off. "'And do not address me so informally,' she said. "'It becomes both of us very ill, Sir Uther.' "'And with that she turned and stormed away back to the castle, "'leaving Uther blinking into the night.' with only the horses for company. The next day, the king called Elena to his side. He seemed to notice for the first time that her dress was the poorest of all the waiting women's, and that her feet were bare. "'What is this?' he croaked. "'Bring a finer robe for the fair Elena. She deserves better as our guest and as a faithful servant to the princess.' A few page-boys scuttled out of the room to do his bidding. The king took Elena's hand and spoke to her softly. "'My child,' he said, his voice like the back of a bow being dragged over an untuned violin. "'I took you from the poverty of your village to be with me here, "'because I could not do without the sight of your beauty.' Elena blushed and looked down, which was why she did not see the lying glint in the king's eyes. "'But I also believe that you are as clever as you are beautiful,' he continued. "'And that is why I would like to hold you up as a model to all the other women in the land.' Elena looked up at him, her eyes full of triumph. "'I am going to set you a little task,' the king said. "'Just a small thing. Child's play for you, I'm sure.' "'Anything, my king.' "'Anything?' "'Anything you ask?' The king rubbed his hands together. "'Very good,' he chuckled. "'Come with me.' And he led her from the room. They went up what seemed thousands of stairs, round and round, until Elena didn't know which way was north or south or east or west. She only knew that the world was spinning and she was going up. At last the stairs stopped, and the king and Elena stood before a heavy oak door. The king scrabbled on his big iron key ring for the right key. Finally he found it and unlocked the great door. 
The room beyond the door was circular, with a high pointed ceiling ending in wooden beams and a thatched roof. All around the room were bundles and bundles of new straw. In the slits of sunlight shooting through the slim windows, the straw shone like yellow gold. And in the midst of all the straw sat a new spinning wheel with a stool at its side. The wheel looked small in the midst of that room full of straw, small and fragile. What is this, my lord? Elena asked, panting from the long climb. In you go, the king replied, pushing her in ahead of him. I have heard of your cleverness in your own village, girl. Now it's time to show it. You promised me you would do anything for your king. I will now ask you to make good on that promise. What do you ask of me, my king? Elena asked, swallowing hard. I would have you take all this new straw, the king said, and spin it into a little gold for me. Just a room full of gold for your king. It cannot be too much to ask, and I am certain it cannot be too much for you to do. You, who are so clever and so lovely. He licked his lips and looked at her out of the corner of his beady eyes. Elena walked to the spinning wheel and turned it slowly with her finger. This is what you ask of me, my king, she whispered. Only this. Elena turned to face him, her eyes full of a dangerous fire like a gambler's. And what will you give me if I do this thing for you? Why, anything you ask, child, I shall make you a baroness if you like. A baroness? Elena barely breathed the word. Most assuredly, the king mumbled, anything you please. Swear it, Elena said, stepping forward. Swear that you will give me land and titles and riches. I swear it, the king said dismissively. But if the stakes are that high, let's make it a fair bargain. What do you mean? Either you spin this room full of straw into gold for me in three days' time, and I give you your baronetage, or you don't, and I kill you. Elena looked at the king for a long moment. Done, she said at last, holding out her hand. The king took the little hand and bent to kiss it. His eyes gleamed. Three days, he said. I will see that you get the best food and the cleanest water, and I shall not disturb you until the three days are over. Elena bowed her head, and the king let go of her hand. There was a clang as the huge door slammed shut. And when Elena raised her eyes, she was alone in the room full of straw. The next day, a young servant girl panted up to the huge door at the top of the tower. In her arms, she carried a basket full of bread and cheese and a tankard of clean water. She stopped in front of the door, holding her side and wheezing. Why did the king have to go putting the Lady Elena in this out-of-the-way chamber? Goodness only knew the servants had enough to do without tramping up a mile's worth of dizzy steps to feed her. As the servant girl caught her breath, she noticed a faint noise that came drifting out from under the door. It sounded like someone was moaning, accompanied by the creak and whir of a spinning wheel going around and around very fast. Quietly, the girl put the basket down on the ground 
and flattened her ear to the door. The high, whining sound grew clearer. The girl barely breathed in her effort to listen. One for the king and one for the queen, the voice drifted out, muffled to the girl's ear. And one for the baby made in between, and all for me at day's dark end, and all for me, my friend, my friend. The girl shivered. It didn't sound like the Lady Elena's voice. Come to think of it, no one had ever heard Elena sing before. And if it dies before it wakes, just pray it's God the soul shall take. The girl swallowed hard. The voice half wheezed and half whistled like wind wrapping around a house, or like a cat in pain, or like a, like a ghost. The girl covered her mouth to stop a scream. Then she knocked on the door and ran away down the stairs, leaving the basket behind her. Three days went by. The servant girl's story had ensured that no one stayed with the basket of food long enough to see the huge door creak open. However, every morning, when another servant came with the day's rations, the basket would always be empty with the linen neatly folded inside it. For all his faults, the king was a fair man, and he would make sure that Elena had had her full three days to complete her task. And so, on the evening of the third day, the king made the long ascent to the high tower room to see what Elena had done with the roomful of straw. His courtiers, curious to witness this new folly, traipsed after him like so many sheep. Unlike the servant girl, the king was too excited to wait on the threshold for his breath to come back. He had hardly reached the top step when his bony arm flew out and pushed back the door with a bang. His attendants crowded behind him, jostling each other for a better view. The dark-haired princess hurried up behind her father, first among his followers. When the king opened the door, however, everyone on the stairs closed their eyes with a gasp. Some staggered and almost fell backward down the stairs. Most just covered their eyes and moaned. The princess caught her breath. The king choked back a sob. Out of the little tower room at the top of the castle, a bright light flashed. At first, some of the courtiers thought the room had caught on fire, but there was no sound of a blaze. Instead, in the rays of the evening sun filtering through the arrow-slit windows, the whole room radiated with a million reflections of golden light. The king and the courtiers staggered into the room, slowly regaining their sight. And what a sight they saw! Piles upon piles of spun gold wreathed the room. From floor to ceiling, the waves of fine gold lay coiled and heaped and mounded. There were fountains of gold and streams of gold, piles of gold and stacks of gold. And there, in the midst of the burnished splendor, sat Elena, her hair and her smile shining brighter than all the gold put together. In all the dazzling splendor, no one noticed that the little gold necklace around her neck was gone. "'My dear child!' the king sobbed, rushing forward and snatching her hand. "'It is more beautiful. It, it surpasses my wildest. I never thought!' He stammered into silence. Uther stepped forward. "'But how?' he stammered. But Elena only smiled and said nothing. For about a week, the king skipped around the castle, trailing spun gold wherever he went. 
he seemed unable to go anywhere without at least a little of the gold on his person. He sat on his throne, humming and stroking a strand or two of it. He paused in his meals to gaze down at a spool of it lying in his lap. He even floated some of it in the hot water of his bathtub. He was as happy as a young bridegroom on his honeymoon. On the eighth night after Elena's miracle, as the servants were starting to call it, the king had a lovely dream in which his whole bedchamber was festooned with golden strands. In his dream, the bedclothes glittered with it, and the rugs sparkled with it. The windows shone golden, and even his sheets glittered with the precious metal. When he woke, he found that his bed hangings were only the finest oriental embroidery, and his rugs were only hand-worked braid, and his windows were only polished mahogany, and he almost cried. He could not live this way. Something must be done. The king had been as good as his word. He had made Elena a baroness at once, and had given her lands to go with the title. She had set out immediately to see those lands, but now the king sent Uther to fetch her back. I pray you, my king, Uther pleaded, do not send me. Why not? the king cried. You're my most trusted servant. I, Uther faltered, I would not leave your majesty in your hour of sorrow. What? the king raged. What do you say? You would not leave me in my sorrow when fetching this lady is the only thing that would remedy my grief? Of course, I would do anything for you, your ma- Then prove it. The Lady Elena proved it, and she was rewarded. See to it that you do not disobey me, or you will be punished. Yes, my king, Uther mumbled, and he left the room. Two days later, Uther returned to the castle with Elena. The king sat in his bedchamber, looking around the room and sighing. When a servant boy informed him that the Lady Elena had arrived, the king rushed down to meet her in such haste that he forgot to put on his shoes. When the king dashed barefoot into the throne room, Elena already stood in the midst of a crowd of admiring courtiers who were tripping over each other to get a better look at her dress and her jewels. Only the princess sat apart, looking on and not saying a word, but her teeth ground together behind her expressionless lips. "'My lady Elena!' the king said, rushing toward her. The courtiers scattered before him like bowling pins before a ball. "'My dear!' the king took her hands as she curtsied to him. "'Walk with me. I would speak to you.' With a final glance over her shoulder at the admiring courtiers, Elena took the king's proffered arm and walked with him to an anteroom. "'Lady Elena,' the king began, "'you know how I admire your cleverness and how grateful I am for the service you rendered me these ten days ago.' "'Yes, my king,' Elena bowed her head. The king shuffled his feet and looked away from her. "'I can't go on like this,' he finally burst out. "'I must have more gold.' "'More gold?' Elena frowned. "'Yes, my life is dull without it.' "'But surely my king has the room full of gold I spun for him.' "'Yes, yes,' he waved his hand. "'But it was only one room's full.' I must at least have enough gold to furnish my bedchamber with as well. You wish me to spin more gold for you. Elena's eyebrows drew together. Yes, I must have it. 
Elena looked out the window, biting her lip. Then she turned back to the king. "'As you command, my king,' she said at last. "'But this time the reward must be greater. "'I already have lands. "'What else would my king find in his gratitude to give me?' "'A county!' the king cried. "'I would make you a countess, second only in rank to a prince.' Elena considered for a moment. Then she nodded. "'That will do,' she said. "'Where is the straw?' For the next three days the king slept in the best guest suite in the castle. His own bedroom overflowed with new straw. He made sure to set up Elena in that room, just to make sure that she spun enough gold to cover the whole chamber. For three days no one saw into that room, the servants having learned to leave the basket of food outside the door. On the third day... The king rushed into the room at noontime, unable to wait until evening. Again the room blazed with gold. Elena stood triumphantly in the midst of the glow, her head thrown back, her smile barely concealed. No one noticed that the little gold ring she had worn on her finger when she came to the castle had disappeared. For a short while the king was happy. He spent a few months wasting the servants' time by making them sew gold thread into his curtains and his bed hangings and his pillows. He even had a special gold suit made for him, which he wore so often that it acquired the pungent odor of his elderly person. But he was happy, oh, so happy. And while the king smiled, his courtiers enjoyed his good favor. Only the young princess skulked in the shadows and scowled. Elena was often at court now, flaunting the wealth of her new station. Whenever she entered a room, the princess found an excuse to leave it. The princess became so good at this game that, eventually, the two women never spoke. One night, when the king's chief laundress had managed to steal away his golden robe to clean it, the king decided to take a stroll around the castle. He couldn't walk far when he was wearing the golden robe because it was so heavy, but tonight he found himself free to prowl the palace like he used to, looking for some servant or courtier to frighten out of their idleness by his unexpected presence. The king left his chamber and wandered through the cold castle halls. Rich tapestries covered the stone walls and soft straw rustled underfoot. But as he went along, the king found that he did not enjoy surprising a lazy serving-maid or terrifying a lounging page-boy like he used to. He was too taken up with the drabness of his own castle. He did not seem to see the silver wall sconces holding the finest beeswax candles. He didn't seem to enjoy the fine embroidered chairs. He didn't seem to notice the ornately carved tables, not even when he walked into them by mistake. All he saw was a world almost entirely devoid of gold. After an hour of wandering, the king sat down on an embroidered chair and buried his face in his bony hands. It was a horrible thing. Nothing sparkled, nothing gleamed, nothing even glowed. He almost sobbed. The next day, the king summoned Elena to his presence. "'My dear, let us walk,' he said, taking her arm and leading her out to the garden. "'What do you desire, my king?' Elena asked. The deep rings around her eyes showed the wear of her new responsibilities, and she walked with less of a spring in her step 
than she had before. "'My dear lady,' the king said, "'I am troubled in my soul. "'My castle is so drab. "'Nothing looks bright to me any more. "'Is the king ill?' "'Not ill. "'Simply pining for, for the gleam of, "'for the sheen of.' "'He broke off, embarrassed. "'His majesty desires more gold,' Elena said, "'careful not to look at the king as she spoke.' That would cheer me, I admit. Elena stopped walking. The king stopped, too. My king, she said, facing him, you drain me with your requests. I would do anything for your majesty, but it taxes me greatly to spin straw into gold. Oh, please, the king suddenly whined, just this once, just this one more time. Elena looked at him, with her head on one side. "'Do you swear that this will be the last time?' she asked. "'I—' The king gulped and hesitated. Then he looked resigned. "'I swear it.' "'And do you promise to give me whatever I ask for in return?' "'Anything, anything you ask.' Elena stared hard into his watery old eyes. "'Then make me your queen,' she said. A long silence stretched out between them. "'But you,' the king rasped, "'common-born!' "'And made a countess by your command,' Elena reminded him, "'second only to a prince.' The king bit his lip. "'What if I killed you?' he said at last. What if I sentenced you to death unless you did this thing for me? Elena shrugged. Then I would let you kill me, she answered, and you would never have the gold, my lord. The king wrung his hands for another moment. Then he made up his mind. All right, he said. If you do this for me, I shall make you queen. But know you this. If you fail me... You shall die. It is a fair bargain, Elena said, as are all my king's bargains. The next day, the king ordered all his soldiers and all his courtiers to leave the castle. With much grumbling, the courtiers returned to their homes. The soldiers milled about in the courtyard until the king ordered them to find lodgings at the nearby villages. The servants stayed only long enough to fill the entire castle with straw. Every room, every hallway, every alcove was stuffed with straw until it was difficult to breathe without inhaling the chaff drifting like overgrown dust motes through the air. The king, to distract himself, took a tour down to one of his nobles' castles. There he stayed for a week, leaving instructions for a village family to bring food and water to the castle every day for Elena. At the end of the week, the king rode back to his castle. From far off, the king and his attendants noticed that something near the castle glimmered and shone. As they drew closer, Uther remarked to the king that there must be a house on fire, except that he could see no smoke. As they came to the palace, however, the whole party fell silent. From each window, from every door, 
From all the openings in the castle something gleamed out. It looked like lit kindling, or the blacksmith's hot metal, or the sun. It blazed like a beacon. I knew it, the king rasped. I knew she could do it. He stumbled off his horse and ran through the outer gates. Tripping in his haste, the king rushed through room after room of his palace. Everywhere he went, gold sparkled and shone, piled high from wall to wall. He whooped and skipped like a child, touching all the gold as he went. All my dreams, he cried, all my wishes, all my heart's desire, all true. He skidded to a halt at the door of the great hall. Through the large high windows the afternoon sun played on the contents of the room. The king sighed with unutterable pleasure. The room was a forest of gold. My king, a voice roused him, and his eyes focused on the figure in the midst of the piles of golden thread. Her hair was not as glossy as it had been. It was not gray yet, but it no longer had that hot liquid gilt that it had when she first came to the castle. Her shoulders, too, were slumped, and her eyes had sunk a little deeper into her pale face. My king, she repeated, you must keep your promise. When will we be married? As soon as you please, my dear, he breathed, as soon as you please. The wedding was a splendid affair, and if the king was old and wizened and the new queen looked haggard and tired, the people were distracted by the new robes the couple wore, spun from pure gold. The princess was there, looking grim and pale. Uther was there also, standing behind the king with the rest of the king's guards, his lips set in a firm, pale line. When Elena vowed herself to the king, Uther's eyes seemed to focus on a point ten thousand miles away. When the bishop placed the coronet on Elena's head, the courtiers around the princess heard the dark-haired girl's teeth grinding together. It was all over in a splash of golden splendor. As the king and queen took to their chamber, however, a sudden storm opened the clouds. The rain started falling sparsely, but it quickly increased into a harsh downpour. Lightning cut through the dark sky like a tailor's scissors rending through dark cloth. The feast in the courtyard had to be hastily removed indoors, and some of the peasants went home shaking their heads, muttering about bad omens. A year passed tranquilly enough. The king and queen spent very little time together. A year passed tranquilly enough. The king and queen spent very little time together. The king became more and more engrossed with his gold, and the queen gradually became the real ruler of the kingdom. Elena was a good queen. She was fair to the poor, and she didn't show too much deference to the rich. She ruled with a natural skill and judgment, and her subjects enjoyed peace and prosperity. The only troubled hearts at the court were those of Uther and the young princess. Uther still remained strangely devoted to Elena. He followed her around like an abused dog, hoping to be kicked by the master it loved. The princess, on the other hand, lurked in the shadows, watching Elena and clenching her little fists, waiting for the queen to make a mistake. But Elena did her job well. There were no mistakes for the princess to gloat over, and no blunders to diminish Uther's admiration. 
A few months after their first wedding anniversary, Elena gave the kingdom another reason to rejoice. She bore the king a son. The king was delighted, and the queen found a new joy in life. They were suddenly more loving, both to the child and to each other. Indeed, the queen nearly forgot her kingdom, and the king certainly did forget his daughter. While the whole castle celebrated the first six months of the new baby boy's life, Uther sat by the stable, drinking honey wine. This was nothing new for him. Lately he had been more drunk than sober. Luckily the king didn't notice as he was enthralled with his baby son. The king's son, Uther spat on the ground. That should have been my son, he thought. He couldn't stop the thought. It came unbidden to his mind and stuck there like dung on a defeated dictator's statue. He took another swig from the bottle in his hand. Then he looked up, suddenly alert. Someone was crying. Uther staggered to his feet. The ground tilted under him, and he put out a hand to steady himself. Yes, someone was definitely crying. He tipped his head to one side and listened a little harder. It was definitely a female someone. And if his ears were not too drunk to judge, that someone was in the stable. Using the stable wall to steady himself, Uther lurched into the building. In the far stall, with her head nuzzled against her black mare's mane, stood the princess. She had her arms around her horse's neck, and she sobbed like a child. "'Are you all right?' Uther asked, trying to control his slurred speech. The sobbing stopped immediately, and the princess jerked her head up to glare at him. "'What do you want?' she choked out. "'Just wondering if I could help,' Uther mumbled. "'You!' Help me! Her tear-stained face split into a derisive laugh. When did you ever try to help me? You, the queen's pet. When did you ever even look at me? Uther opened his mouth to protest, but instead he really did look at her. He stared at her, and it was like seeing her for the first time. She did not have Elena's flashing waves of hair, or the queen's emerald eyes, but the princess was extremely willowy and delicate. Her pale skin contrasted beautifully with her jet-black hair, and her eyes were like two black pearls, full of hidden depth and color. Why hadn't Uther seen it before? She was exquisitely lovely. My princess, Uther said, sinking onto one knee and bowing his head. I am at your command. For a long moment she only looked at him from over her mare's neck. Then she stepped away from the animal and moved toward him. She bent her head close to his. "'Swear your fealty to me, Uther Rootgart,' she whispered in his ear. "'Swear that you will serve me above all others, and I will make you my king.' Uther looked up into her dark, dark eyes. "'I swear it,' he breathed. And she took his chin in her small white hand and kissed his mouth. A week later, the queen was heard to scream in the night. When her women came rushing to her, they found her snatching her child from its cradle and pressing it tight to her chest. "'Don't let that thing take my baby!' she sobbed. "'Don't let it in! Don't!' Her women tried to comfort her in vain. Eventually, the king came to her and calmed her, 
but she insisted on sleeping with a child in her bed from that night onward. It was after another week that the princess happened to be in the royal wardrobe, arranging some of the queen's gowns, when she heard a strange noise from the main chamber. Unbeknownst to the princess, Elena had brought the baby boy into the room and was nursing him in a chair. The princess curled her lip with hatred at the child's greedy suckling sounds, but she did not step out of the wardrobe room and show herself to the queen. Instead, the princess nestled herself in amongst some petticoats at the front of the huge closet and spied on the queen and the princeling. She hadn't been watching them for long, feeling her blood boil at every fond coo and soft song of the queen to her child, when a cold wind blew in from the window and fluttered the baby's blankets. The petticoats around the princess rustled, and the girl herself shivered. The queen looked up, her eyes full of a nameless terror. And then the thing was in the room. It was small and black. Not like a man from far down the Nile is black, but charred black and shiny, like coal. It had obscenely long pointed ears, and a monkey's tail, ending in a spike, grew from the bottom of its back. Its legs were like a goat's and ended in cloven hoofs, and its fingers were long and double-jointed. As the princess watched, it turned its head, and she saw its profile. It had burning pits for eyes, and two holes where its nose should have been, and its mouth was a lipless slit. Elena gasped and scrabbled backward in the chair. She clutched the child to her heart, holding the back of its head in her hand. You, Elena breathed. Me, the thing crackled back at her. You dare to come here, Elena's white face filled slowly with crimson. You dare to come here to me, me, the queen. But who made you queen? the creature hissed. Who placed that crown on your pretty little head? Not you, oh no, not you. The thing stepped forward, horribly, its hoofs striking sparks on the stone floor. You owe me a debt, oh queen, and you must pay. No! Elena's voice fell huskily. No, I won't let you. Take me instead. You, the creature laughed. Why would I want you now? All your innocence is gone. You are as good as mine anyway. No, you know the price and you agree to it. Now, hand over the child. No, I won't let you take him. For a moment, the little demon seemed about to spring on Elena. Then it relaxed. All right, it said, its forked tongue flickering out of its mouth. All right, let's play a little game, shall we? A game? Elena asked. What game? If you can guess my name, the thing said. You may keep your child. Give me three days, Elena begged. That's only fair. Fair? None of this is fair. It's all above and beyond at this point, my dear. I don't owe you anything. 
You, however, owe me everything. Elena shuddered. Please, she whispered, just three days, two. She gulped down a sob and with an effort regained her composure. To make it more fun for you? The creature cocked its ugly head to one side. Hmm, it said. That would be more fun, I suppose. All right, then. Three days. And you can have three guesses every day. How's that? Done. To the princess's surprise, Elena stuck her finger in her mouth and bit down on it hard. A few drops of blood trickled down her chin and onto the baby's blonde head. The little demon did the same, and they touched the blood of their fingers together. Until tomorrow, then... The creature grinned. Then it was gone. That evening, the queen called Uther to her chamber. Uther, Elena said, smiling serenely from a fur-covered chair. Uther looked straight ahead, his gaze fixed on a spot a few feet in front of her face. My queen, he said. Uther, you have always been so faithful to me. The knight said nothing. And to your king, she continued. Today I learned that the king's child is in danger. The princess! Uther's eyes widened, and he became more alive. Elena laughed. I should think, she said, that the princess can take care of herself. No, I was thinking of the king's heir. Ah, Uther said, your son. Elena looked at him sharply, but the knight's expression never changed. Uther, I must ask you to render me a service, Elena said. She stood up and paced the floor in front of him. I made a deal once, she continued. I entered into a pact. So far it has brought me only good fortune, but lately I have been... She paused. Payment has been demanded of me. Now I can have this payment remitted if only I find out the name of my adversary. And what has this to do with me? Uther asked. I am constrained here at the castle, she said. I cannot leave. I have duties to my husband and to my son. I need eyes and ears that can roam far and wide. She stopped pacing and looked him in the eye. Will you be my eyes and ears, Uther? For a moment they held each other's gaze. Then Uther nodded. As you command, Majesty, he said, bowing his head. Elena smiled, and she told him what she wanted him to do. Three days later, Elena was pacing in her chamber again. The past two nights, just at sundown, the little fiend had come and demanded a name from her. And every time she had guessed incorrectly, every morning Uther would return to her and give his report. But so far he hadn't found out the demon's name. Elena bit her nails distractedly, in only a few more hours the demon would come back, and this was her last chance. Elena stopped pacing and knelt by the cradle where her child lay sleeping. She stroked its little pink cheek with the back of her hand, loving the softness of the touch and the warmth of the child. She bit back a sob. Uther would find out the name. She knew he would. Just then, a great commotion in the hall outside her chamber made her stand quickly. The door burst open as though a giant had kicked it in. Uther stood there, flushed and sweating. He had obviously come straight from the stables. 
Elena ran to him, unheeding of his dirty state, taking his big hands in her small white ones. "'Did you?' she broke off. Uther only panted for a few minutes. "'Aye,' he gasped. "'I have found it, my lady.' Elena almost collapsed in her relief. "'Are you sure?' she breathed. "'I heard it from the foul creature's own lips. He said—' Uther stopped, still panting. He said—' "'What?' she almost screamed. "'He said what?' Uther took a deep breath. "'I heard him—it—singing. It was dancing around a fire in the deep woods. It said, "'Though she longed for wealth and fame, the queen will never guess my game.' "'That Rumpelstiltskin is my name.' "'Elena staggered back, a strange light kindling in her green eyes. "'Say it again,' she breathed. "'The name. Say it one more time.' "'Rumpelstiltskin,' Uther said. "'Rumpelstiltskin,' she breathed, baring her teeth in a savage grin. "'I've got you now, you little imp.' "'My lady?' Uther hesitated. Elena seemed to remember herself. "'You will be rewarded, Uther,' she said. "'My thanks.' And she held out her hand for him to kiss. That evening, as the red sun sank low behind the purple hills, Elena sat in her fur-lined chair with her son in her arms. She stroked his hair and hummed to him, a soft smile playing over her lips. As the hills devoured the last ray of the sun— the little demon stepped out of the newly made shadows and stared into the queen's eyes. "'It's time to surrender your child,' the demon hissed. "'Wait,' Elena said. "'I have three guesses yet.' "'All right,' said the creature. "'Guess away.' And he held up three blackened fingers, their yellow-brown nails curling in toward the palms. "'Is it Methuselah?' she asked. "'No,' the demon said, slowly lowering one finger. Elena pretended to think. "'Is it—' she hesitated. "'Beelzebub?' "'It is not,' the imp licked its blackened lips and curled in another finger. "'Is it—' Elena couldn't help but smile. "'Rumpelstiltskin?' The creature stared at her, without saying a word. Then it let out a low chuckle. The laugh went on and on, growing louder and echoing throughout the chamber. Elena's own smile faded, and she clutched the baby closer to her chest. So, the demon said, finally mastering his giggles. Your oaf of a spy told you what he heard, did he? It's true. That is what some people call me. But is it my true name? No. Oh, no. Elena stared. But, she stammered, but I guessed your name. I, I got it right. I, I... No, 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 the demon said, shaking its rotting head. I'm afraid nicknames don't count, my dear. Now hand over the boy. He is rightfully mine. No! Elena scrabbled backward in the chair, shielding her child with her body. No, the imp said very quietly. No. You swore by blood 
and by bone that you would give me anything if I made you queen. If you will steal your plunder and refuse to pay the price, then I will have to punish you before I take my payment. Elena's scream reverberated through the castle. The flash of light, too, that burned through her chamber was seen several villages away. To this day, they say that that is how the queen got to be so scarred and ugly that the king never came to her chamber again to make another child with her. The little demon left Elena writhing and whimpering. As he softly shut the door, cradling the babe in one arm, he nodded to Uther and the princess who stood outside listening. A look of understanding passed between the three of them. The girl slipped the little silver ring off of her slender, snow-white finger, and the demon took it from her hand, as payment for this first service rendered to the future king and queen of all the land. You just listened to Heart's Desire, written and read by your door-to-door -door storyteller, Gretelyn Darkey. Thank you for listening. Used by We Are One Body Audio Theater, with the permission of the licensor, granted under a copyrighted license agreement. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theater.